Hello, and welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I am your host, Sarah Buino. Today's guest is, she's coming to us from very far away in Bali. Her name is Candace Wu, and I met Candace. How did I meet Candace? I think the first time that I met her, I went to a workshop she was facilitating. It was several years ago, but it was a New Year's workshop about kind of cultivating or calling in what we wanted to for the new year. And that was my first experience with her. And then you know, as I would go around about my business, her name would come up all the time. She's just one of those people that she seems to know everybody and everybody seems to know her. So Candace is a very, very special being and she is now traveling and she's created this really exciting model of work for herself where she continues to see people over Skype. And then I think she works with people wherever she ends up. And right now she just happens to be in Bali, which is very exciting. So I hope you enjoy this wonderful interview with Candace. It's funny, she and I, you know, start, we, we get into it pretty quickly and we get into a lot of our family history stuff. And it was, it was really interesting how she kind of turned the tables on me in the midst of the interview. And facilitated a little healing and I guess awareness for me that I had not cultivated around a particular topic. So I do hope you enjoy this interview with Candace Wu. Hello, Candace. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. How are you? Good, Sarah. It's great to be here. Thank you. Yay. Where are you in the world? I am in Bali right now. In Bali. Oh, very exciting. Yeah. So for people who are listening, if my voice sounds a little like sexier, it's because it's 7 a.m. for me. And what time is it for you? It is 8 p.m. See, yeah. Time zones, I always get it wrong. I'm so glad that you get it right because you're used to doing this right now because you've been Skyping with people in the States, right? For sessions, you know. Yeah, I have been. I've been Skyping mostly with people from Chicago and Michigan, and I've gotten it wrong a few times, but luckily... Luckily, I have this handy little tool on my computer that my partner put on that just tells you, you know, what time it is everywhere that you need to know. You get to set it. So that's amazing to adapt. Yay. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Awesome. Well, let's let's jump in and, and tell the listeners who you are and what you do. My name is Candace Wu, and I am a holistic healing facilitator, and I work mostly with loving yourself, feeling good in your body, and navigating all the emotions you're experiencing, as well as intergenerational trauma through an embodied perspective. You have the best elevator speech ever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's taken many years, and it changes every day and every moment. But uh, luckily, you know, through a, a mutual contact that you and I both know, Bianca Hardin, mm-hmm. she was my yes. first supervisor. Yes. And she just taught me so much. 30 second mm-hmm. elevator speech was one of the first things she was like, let's get this down. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny. So Bianca and I, I don't know how much you talk to her, but Bianca and I are in this little cohort of group practice owners. And we just had this idea to bring all of our practices together with all of our staff so that we can talk about marketing. Because we found that that is one thing across the board that most of our staff are terrible at. Yeah, I find that in myself as well. And also with other people who are therapists or healers or some sort of wellness practitioner, sometimes the hardest thing to do is talk about yourself. Right. And I don't know about for you, but for me, now we're now we're starting to like get into it already. For me, it's... Let's do it. 
right? Like I was raised to, I was raised in a very Christian household. So, you know, to be Christ-like, we're supposed to be very humble. And my mom's expression of humility was basically to like never even accept a compliment. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) And that's kind of, you know, for me, I learned either you're humble and not accepting compliments and not taking any credit for anything, or you're a totally selfish narcissist who thinks that they're the best thing. And there was no Mm. space in between. So I really struggle with that. Mm, I can really relate to that coming from a Chinese family. First, yeah, you don't really even, at least in my experience, we didn't have much affection at all Mm. um, with physical touch or words, any verbal affection. And so taking a compliment, it just wasn't even really given. And so it wasn't, there was no practice with that or seeing and hearing that. And then to go to the level of accepting compliments and then even talking about yourself or saying what you want. Oh, yeah. That's like total selfish zone in, right. that, in that world, in that paradigm. What funny so crossovers. Because totally it's like, you know, conservative Christian traditional Chinese, but the same, same sort of, yeah, I'm not stereotyping Christianity because there are plenty of other Christians who did it very differently, but that's just how I was raised. But it's just so interesting. The intersection of those, it arrived at the same place from two totally different worldviews, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that has something to do with consciousness at the, you know, the timing of the generations and it's just showing up in so many different places. Yeah. I have so many questions for you, but I think It's probably better if I just let you tell more of your story so that I can like weave in my questions as we go along. So I'd love to know how did you arrive at the point where you're like, I'm going to get my master's in. Are you a counselor or social work? I can't remember. Counselor. Okay. Yes. In clinical psychology. Okay. So how did you arrive there? Well, my first career was as an art teacher for middle schoolers. And oh, I can totally yes. see that in the most loving way. <laughs> oh, I didn't know you didn't know that about me. No. Yeah. Yes, I taught middle schoolers for about a year. I taught kindergarten through second grade. That was really hard. Uh, kudos to all kindergarten teachers out there in the world. <laughs> um, <laughs> and first and second grade, but especially kindergarten. But right. Yeah, it was a lovely career of about six years. And at the time, I was such a high achiever um, type A personality that I Mm. ended up blowing through what would seem like a 30-year career in about six. Oh, Lord. And yeah, totally burned myself out. But I still loved it at the same time. I felt like I built a lovely community and supported kids in understanding that art was really about expression and awareness mm-hmm. and accepting themselves and just letting what is inside come outside. And I found at that time that I was already seeing art education as a healing process. Yeah. And it felt like I was ready to do something deeper, one on one or small group. And at the same time, I was also getting major headaches every day mm. at school. My body was, I was just kind of running it into the ground and doing a lot of my own healing work at that time. I started off with EMDR therapy, Mm -hmm. eye movement sensitization and reprocessing. And because it's so integrative and body centered as well, at least from the therapist I worked with, it was so profound. And I felt like I really learned about myself and about my gifts as Mm. a result of doing the healing work, which is 
this awesome. fabulous conversation we're going to have about being a wounded healer. Yes. Um, yeah. And I just took the leap at that time and went to grad school. So I went to grad school in Chicago. And once I was through my master's, I f- still felt like grad school was the place to be. I w- went into my doctorate. Oh, and really? I did. I went through almost the first year of that, uh, although it was the, the master's just went right into it. And mm. at the same time, I was studying yoga, Ayurveda, like pretty deeply. Mm. I was studying other indigenous practices. And suddenly I stumbled upon family constellations, which mm-hmm. is the embodied ancestral healing work that you and I both know. And yes. it, yeah, it floored me. I just felt like this was my voice and this was my calling to do something so different like this. And I quit grad school and I just went for it and got my licensure so that I'd also have that avenue of offering to people mm-hmm. and started off at Centered Therapy, which was a beautiful place to begin. And after that, I went off on my own and began to practice as a healer outside of my licensure so that I could broaden in different ways. Mm. And now I'm traveling and doing my work online as well as in person wherever I am and doing retreats and workshops and other online offerings. Mm-hmm. You've made like your dream career, haven't you? I really have. And the interesting thing about that is I didn't realize this dream could ever be possible. And I kept it so far from my awareness, Mm -hmm. even in myself for so long. And just little by little, it started to unfold that, yes, this was what I deeply wanted. Yeah. Let's let's go back and talk about the family constellation and I guess too, you know, how it spoke to you cuz cuz when you say you do like, you know, healing family ancestral wounds and whatnot, I'm guessing there's a personal relationship with that cuz as we've learned on this podcast, we've we've told everyone the secret that therapists specialize in things that they need. <laughs> Exactly. So, <laughs> so yeah, if you can share, and I did talk about constellations with an, with another person who's not even a therapist at all. She's a spiritual healer. So we were talking about that. So we've touched on it a little bit, but I'd love to hear your perspective of what it is and why you're so into it. I love it because it's a complete picture. And Mm. it's almost literally a complete picture because Mm -hmm. if we do it in a group setting, we're asking each other to represent each other's family systems or energies within a person's dynamic without knowing any information mentally. Right. And what we see is this three-dimensional, multi-dimensional picture of with the whole body and being of what's going on at the unconscious and spiritual level of of a set of people. Mm-hmm. And it's so beautiful. Um, Bert Hellinger, who founded the work, calls it movements of the soul. Mm. And it's literally that. It involves movement. It involves tuning in to see what's there and acknowledging what's there. Mm-hmm. And then seeing and illuminating where the the context for which what we're holding in our lives may have been passed down from. Right. And handing it back to the true context of that so that we can be free of the fate of people that came before us and that mm-hmm. we can actually step forward and see forward into our lives with a lot of freedom. Mm. That is a beautiful way to describe it. You are really good at describing things. You win. A plus. Oh, oh my gosh. It's taken so 
many iterations of thinking about how to say that. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that if you haven't experienced it, that you still might be thinking, what the heck is she talking about? <laughs> right? <laughs> well, what I kind of describe it as like intuitive improv for, for like, you know, layman's terms, like we're, we're putting on an improvisational play, so to speak, but it's coming from an intuitive place like you said, that subconscious level mm-hmm. of knowing. And when I was talking about it with uh, Jen George is, is the gal that I was interviewing and she said it it's shamanic work mm-hmm. from her perspective. It absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it absolutely is. It's touching such a deep level of our beings and accessing information that we think we don't even know. Right. But it's held in our viscera. It's held in the tissues mm-hmm. and the cells of who we are. And we walk around with this energy all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's it's absolutely shamanic work and gets to the roots of, of all of our issues mm-hmm. because it's really about the connection of love that flows through a family system. And it's the first way that we know how to be in this mm-hmm. world or belong in mm-hmm. this world. And that, as we know, leaves an imprint. Mm-hmm. So it's beautiful work. Yeah. And it's always different. I've been reading a book that's talking about it's talking about sexual energies, actually, in particular, healing that, those wounds that are created from our, our family lineage. But it's so multi-layered, right? Like I did one constellation with you and that it was one facet of what happened in my family mm-hmm. over the generations. And there's so much more. Like I feel like I could do a constellation every single day and still not hit all of the all of the things. <laughs> Welcome to my life, Sarah. Right. <laughs> Is that, right? My life is a constellation. <laughs> One, I'm curious. It will it'd be nice if it were all fun and games. <laughs> I know, right? I am curious your personal relationship with constellations. One of the first experiences I had just floored me because I felt like, wow, the body really does hold every bit. And when people represented certain parts of my constellation, of my family system, Mm -hmm. it was incredible how quickly it resonated and how they touched into aspects of what people were feeling in my family system that I was somewhere in me aware of, but not totally. Mm. And one of the things that, one of the constellations that really drove it home for me was when the facilitator asked me about any abortions or miscarriages in my family. My mom had had an abortion uh, about a year after I was born. Hmm. And so being a one-year-old baby and having this happen where it was pretty traumatic for her and she just put that experience away and didn't talk about it, didn't grieve about it. Mm. And I only knew about it because she told me when I was in high school, just one time she mentioned it and never talked about it again. And so when I brought it up in this constellation, the facilitator sensed something about that, about that loss. And we did this constellation and it was such a profound and deep loss for me as well as my mother. And it affected my brother and sister differently, but it just explained so much of why I was holding so much sadness, grief and loss. Yeah. Where I could, sometimes I feel at that time I was feeling like seeing things out in the world, 
there are a lot of sad things in the world, but when I'd see certain things, it felt like I was holding the entire grief of the world around it. Mm. And those those words are so specific, holding the grief of the world. Yeah. And that just matched my experience as a child holding the grief of this world, the world yeah. as I knew it, this family. And so I experienced holding the grief of my mother and the people that didn't grieve around that scenario, as well as my own loss, that mm-hmm. it felt like I had lost this companion that I was meant to have mm-hmm. in this life. And the craziest thing that drove it home for me was I didn't talk about it with my mother. And about six months later, she called me and told me that she had named my sister. <gasps> oh, magic. Yes. And I, first I, I said to her, how do you know it's a girl? And she's like, I know. Mm. <laughs> so I was like, okay, got it. <laughs> got it. Wow. And she named, yeah, she named my sister Ling, which means mm. spirit. Hmm. in Chinese. Oh, I want to cry. Oh, oh, that hit me in such a lovely place. Oh, oh, oh my goodness. How does it hit you? <laughs> Therapist, turn it back on me. You know, <laughs> well, I uh, do I want to get into this? Yeah, I do. I do. So listeners know by now, because I I casually mention it in conversation that my parents have both passed away. So I feel like part of, I'm prefacing this all before I put it all out there, but I feel like part of my healing journey is to be able to speak, put words to some of the things that were kept secret for a really long time. And I, by saying this, I know that there could be people out there that are shocked by this or upset by this, but I'm I'm going to put it out there. So my mother also had an abortion and it was a secret that nobody knew about. My dad knew and told my brother at some point, and I didn't find out until I was in college. And it it made so much sense to me then, because then once I had confronted my mom about it and asked her about it, I was able to put together all of the pieces of why I was such a miracle to her. And I was on this interesting pedestal of... I was all the things that she was supposed to be and I was all of the things that, you know, she wanted me to be. And there was also this weird kind of like undercurrent of like jealousy because she didn't get to do the things. And there were just so many, there was so much placed on me. And like you said, for me, it wasn't grief, but it was definitely weight. It was definitely expectation and a very specific expectation that was put on me that I was supposed to fulfill. And I know a lot of that was because of she was she was forced to have this abortion. It was not something that she chose. Mm. Um, I can't remember how old she was, but basically my grandmother, her mother said that she had to. And wow. Yeah. Mm. And and when I talked to my mom about it, it was very clear that she kind of like your mom had just put it away. You know, this is just a thing mm-hmm. I don't talk about with other people. And I think for her, she probably carried the grief of the world. She probably, oh, oh, I just had a connection that I wonder about the grief that she was carrying for everybody else. And that's why she was the way that she was and really struggled to share emotion with other people because she thought, I bet she thought that that was her, that was her journey, that she was supposed to hold all that for everybody else. Oh, girl. Oh, girl. Wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. I feel mm-hmm. like a relief when you say it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. with all of the work, I don't know about for you, but for me, a lot of what I've needed to do is cultivate forgiveness and compassion and empathy in a different way. Like if my mm-hmm. if my parents were not my parents, I would easily be able to have compassion and empathy and forgiveness, right? Um mm-hmm. but as right. as one's parents, it feels so personal. Like why did you do this to me or why didn't you do this for me? kind of stuff. And so this is this is another oh, opening to that healing. So thank you for that little mini session there. Oh, well, I just <laughs> listened. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And I can definitely relate to how just like how deeply it can cut with parent dynamics and how deeply it touches from the spiritual angle. I've I've had to grow into or wanted to grow into just seeing it from the place that I've asked for this in a in a big way. Yeah. That I, I wanted to learn these things and these were the teachers that I wanted to have. Can you talk about that? Because it's interesting when my therapist first kind of suggested that is that, you know, that we choose our parents. I was like, bitch, no. (laughs) I was so resistant to that. And that was like the very beginning, I think, of my spiritual education. So can you talk about the I, I don't know if you know a little bit deeper about that idea that we that we choose our parents. I have a lot going on in my head about that on one level. In one of the yoga sutras, I believe, it says the laws of karma are unfathomable. Hmm. And it's just karma is action and, and tendency over time that creates new action. And why I'm sharing this now is that the tendencies that are embedded in our essence and our being in this lifetime come through and culminate into a life, into mm-hmm. our life. And it just perfectly synchronously matches up with all the different aspects of what goes on in this life and the timing and not that this is all fatalistic because I definitely believe that we have every possibility to change it all in a flash Mm -hmm. but that as you come in it's just all perfectly interconnected and set up and that I do believe we had some choice in that matter before Mm -hmm. we came and that that just reflects our ultimate ability to choose in this moment our mm-hmm. fate or what to do with what we feel or what to do with ourselves. So I do believe that we have chosen just the right teachers to mm-hmm. show us something of ourselves and help us reclaim an aspect of ourselves so that we're completely whole or that we completely learn the lesson that we want to know and experience in this lifetime. Mm -hmm, And that's just completely different for everybody. And, you know, I want to break this down to, to also kind of more of a basic thing, because I can just hear some people out there being like, that's bullshit. No. But I think if we, if we break it down to reframing and, you know, in Buddhism, we talk about suffering is created because of our relationship to pain. It's not the pain itself, right? So we know that pain is inevitable. Everybody's going to experience it. And it's what we choose to either learn from it or do with it that makes the difference. And that's kind of what I hear you talking about is we have we have all of these choices. And in the most beautiful and synchronistic way, we are set up to live our fullest life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you're bringing that up because that was probably my first reaction hearing that. Right. (laughs) And 
you know, like, no way that's right. That's messed up. <laughs> like, right. This happened to me and that shouldn't have happened. Right. And I think that that's a really important aspect of our experience too, is to feel that power in saying, no, absolutely not. This was not right. Mm-hmm. And to feel that energy that red energy come up? Well, let's say right and, here, because acceptance is not condoning that things are okay. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Acceptance is, to me, just experiencing what's already here. Right. And then using that, integrating that so you can move forward or do what you want with it next. Right. And I think even though this is my belief, not everyone I work with believes that and that's mm-hmm. okay. And it's not something that I would push on anybody. And it's only helpful if it's helpful, right. if it resonates and if it's right. helpful in the moment. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine was saying this beautiful quote. I can't remember if she told me who said it. So I apologize if I can't credit this, but mm-hmm. there's this quote that says, if you say the right thing in the wrong moment, it's the wrong thing. Yeah. And it's just so true in this in this experience of, you know, sharing what my belief is or sharing a spiritual belief that maybe someone doesn't mm-hmm. resonate with at all, or it's not the right timing. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you bringing up that aspect too. I think that's part of why I felt this pause and yeah, yeah. about what, what am I going to say about this? Right, right. Well, and, and honestly, what I, what I really hope to do in this podcast is continue to highlight the that things are not black and white and it's not it's not one or the other yes or no there are so many complexities and layers to our beings our concrete beings our spiritual beings our souls all of these things there's just yeah there's no one right way to say it and the other thing too i think you know we can probably shift towards moving into the healer uh healer talk the thing that i've learned is that people either resonate, they're either drawn to or repelled by the word healer based on how they view what that word means. So (laughs) everything is in the context of which we understand it based on our experience and our ancestral experience, right? Like going back to that, it's, it's not just us and the meaning that we make of words. It's all of the things. Yes. And then the societal experience of it. Right. And the history of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about what you're saying about the complexity of things, that things are not black and white. And that is one of the biggest things that I've learned in my own healing work Yeah, and working with others is that very thing, as well as all the things that I had an idea that were that I may have some judgment over, like an experience of something mm-hmm, or labeled an emotion as bad or a right. way of being as um, not so helpful. Right. This work has completely turned that around. There was this experience I had in a constellation where we were working with somebody who had alcoholism in their family line. Mm-hmm. And it was from a member of this constellation, a representative that this wisdom came through Mm. and she, it was the mother of the son who all he could do was drink. Mm. And she just blurted it out. And she said, the alcohol was the wisdom in the family that kept this family alive. Mm. There's wisdom in this. Woof. And that just like flipped my mind. (laughs) Wow. Right. Well, and the thing that for people in my life who really, I guess, lean into 
this aspect of healing is, like you said before, everything is a teacher, right? And if something quote unquote negative happens, it happens because there's something that we have to learn from that. And I feel that exact same way as you do. Like the only way that I've gotten where I am now is because of the pain that I've experienced and the challenges that I've had. And I, I used to say I am who I am in spite of my parents. But then after they died, I came to this realization, no, I am who I am because of them. I would not be a therapist mm. if I hadn't had a challenging family. Wow. That's, it's so embracing. It's drawing in more of you. Mm -hmm. that's, that's beautiful. Well, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's get your take on the word healer. I'm really curious. I have gone all sorts of places in my mind with it and in my heart with it. There was a time I decided that healer was who I was, and it actually started very early on in grad mm. school. And I didn't use that word because I was afraid. Uh, and so I, I stuck with being a therapist, a holistic psychotherapist. And it was really my fear that I wouldn't be credible. And right. I think that that's a running fear in society about healer, right. the word healer, mm -hmm. because there is, it is wide open. We don't know exactly what we're getting when someone says healer. Right. Um, there are no credentials for healer. <laughs> yeah. You can self-proclaim that. Right. And I think that in some ways is scary for people. And in other ways, it just makes us incredibly... Well, it forces us to see our responsibility yeah. in knowing who we're interacting with and testing that out for ourselves, knowing, discerning what's not right mm, for us. Mm -hmm. So at some point I embraced it and I felt that that was just me diving into myself and, and really expressing who I was. Mm -hmm. And slowly I got into more subtleties about that because I see myself as a healer, like I heal a lot ongoingly. Mm -hmm. So healer for myself makes sense, but I'm not, and I've heard in some of your podcasts already, I'm, I'm not a healer of anybody else. Mm -hmm. They're, they are their own healer. And so I shifted a bit towards holistic healing facilitator. That yeah, I, like, I noticed that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, just to clarify, <laughs> right? wasn't clear, right. but really awakening the inner healer within someone else and just supporting their own awakening of that and their own reaping inside of themselves to find the resources is why I shifted towards that. Right. But I know so many amazing healers and mm -hmm. everyone has their own take on it. So it's, it's lovely to hear the mm -hmm. variations. Have you watched Wild Wild Country? No, I haven't. So I'm reading Ram Dass right now and I've never read him before. And, you know, he had this guru in India and it was this very magical experience of, so I didn't know anything about him. Do, do you know like his history? So he was Timothy Leary. Not very much. Yeah. So he and Timothy Leary, who was like, the tune in, what was it? Tune in, tune drop out. I don't know. Anyway, Timothy Leary, LSD, all that kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. Ram Das, it was his name was Richard something. And then he took LSD, like had this profound experience, was doing drugs to continue to get this spiritual awakening. And then was like, this is not sustainable. How do I find something different? Went to India, kind of just followed this hippie guy around, ended up running into his guru. I think it was Ma Maharishi. And mm -hmm. that's his life is basically serving God and his guru is the expression of how you love, right? So 
I've been reading his stuff and watching Wild Wild Country. And Wild Wild Country is about, well, they're calling it a cult that happened in, I think, the 70s through mid to late 80s, I think. And they came from India to Oregon. And in <laughs> things go terribly wrong, as you might expect from a Netflix documentary. But the first two episodes, yeah. I'm watching it <laughs> and I'm like, this is fucking awesome. Like they are creating this magical, wonderful community based on love and caring for the planet and all these things. What's wrong with that? And and as you were talking, yeah. I was thinking healer and the weight again, like talking about kind of this ancestral weight and the meaning of words, the weight that we put on that word for someone else. Like if, if there are a group of people looking at you as a healer, as a guru, as a teacher, as whatever, that's a lot of fucking pressure. And maybe that's something we don't want to call upon ourselves because then the expression of what do we do with that? And, you know, talking earlier about either I'm this or I'm that, either I'm humble or I'm an egomaniac. Be called a healer to be asked to lead people. Of course, that's going to go terribly wrong (laughs) and more, you know, more (laughs) often than not, because it's too much pressure and the human ego, I don't know if it can withstand that weight. Yes, it's too much power. Yeah. Lumped onto one person and that power belongs to each individual. Mm. Yeah, you should totally watch it. It's really, it's fascinating. That sounds really interesting. Thanks for sharing mm-hmm. that. So I I love healing facilitator because I think that is that's a term that can sit right in the middle instead of mm-hmm. I'm a healer or I'm not. I'm a healing facilitator. Yeah, right. And so many therapists are healing facilitators. Right. But they may not call themselves that, but that's also what's happening. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So then wounded healer, how do you how do you reconcile that for yourself? When I first heard the term, it just made so much sense. And it was like, yes, that's what I am. And it mm-hmm. helped me see more of myself. And now I see that part as just a part of me, the wounded healer part mm-hmm. of me. And I have, as I've heard you say already, just so many gifts that came out of my own pain, so much reclaiming power that was just sitting behind all these experiences in my life that would just replay itself and replay itself mm-hmm. until I found a way, a different way and healed it through my whole body. Mm-hmm. So I, I absolutely resonate with that aspect of me and the wounded healer in me is just much healthier than it used to be, mm-hmm. um, much happier. And I think shares the the power or the front seat with other parts of myself so that it's not mm-hmm. always in the driver's seat. And lately I've been playing with just like divine love and mm-hmm. inner lover parts of me and feminine and masculine so that it seems like it's a more pure energy that's hmm. beyond my wounded healer part of me. Mm-hmm. And so um, just playing with different parts of me and and what that can bring to myself or to a healing session with someone else. And the thing that I hear underlying everything that you've said about your own journey is compassion, really. It sounds like having cultivated compassion for yourself has given you the space to feel all of these things and to move through them probably more gracefully than previously, right? Oh, yes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. And it has been such a hard journey in my life to Mm -hmm. learn that kind of compassion and love. I've been so hard on myself and I still can be at times. And 
the good thing now is that the other parts of me that have compassion, that have like a more pure love and acceptance just are much stronger. Mm-hmm. And the parts of me that don't know how to love are much smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, they seem like a smaller percent of percentage of me, yet sometimes more potent. Right. Like well, really powerful. I feel I feel like the the more healing I do, the more awareness I have of the subtle screaming of those inner parts of myself than I than I would have before, mm-hmm. right? Because I was anesthetizing in some in some sort of way. I'm thinking from the perspective. It's it's a very interesting to me. It sounds like I have a lot of old high school friends who are listening to this, which I think is so awesome, and it's been so really cool to reconnect with people who you know you've been watching from afar, and you're like you're doing great, and they're like you're doing great, and the people who are not in the profession who are on their own journey. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking from the perspective of that person who might be like, Candace, tell me the secret. How do I get there? <laughs> <laughs> and I know that you can't sum up all of that, but I guess I want to sum a little bit of it up and then get your take on it. So self-compassion, a huge part. And I hear <sighs> that maybe it's when we're asked to really look at these deep wounded parts of ourselves, it's terrifying and there's no way around you have to feel the fear and you have to just suck it up mm-hmm. and do it. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if there's any other way. So curious your thoughts on that comment and or if you do have a, a quick one, two, three for how to get people to love themselves. I'd, I'd love that, too. <laughs> <laughs> one, two, three, go. Oh, You're gosh, healed. I wish I knew that. <laughs> right. Well, let me think about it. Well, first off, feeling the fear. Absolutely. It's it is just going for it and having the courage to do that. And the thing that I learned more in the last couple of years, which would have helped me earlier on, is some of the tools of somatic experiencing, actually, because Mm -hmm. the tools in that are, are so helpful because they're about supporting you and easefully going through the fear rather Mm. than forcing you through it or just grinning and bearing it, Mm. that there's a pendulation, which is like going back and forth, right? Right. To feeling a little bit at a time, a dose of fear, and then feeling pleasure so that you're actually expanding in Mm -hmm. both aspects of yourself, which expands our entire capacity. So that's just Mm -hmm. one thing I want to share now, because if I had found that earlier, I think I would have fewer nights of lying on the ground raw and crying and Mm -hmm. scared, you know, I definitely had support. I was seeing a solid therapist at that time, but even still, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so, well, no one um, else can feel the feelings for you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) But I think that that brings me to, as far as a one, two, three, one, get support. I have support and it's so good. And I Mm -hmm. don't think I'll ever want to not have it, Mm -hmm. um, even though I have so many good tools for myself and so much capacity now. But feeling fear, especially, it's not meant to be an alone type of experience mm-hmm. until you have the capacity and you you feel like you can do it. But when we first come into this life, we're meant to have a loving caretaker help us regulate, right? And so mm-hmm. we, we need that support. We need loving touch. And I think to not be afraid to reach out for that. Mm-hmm. And then you already mentioned self-forgiveness, And that's Mm -hmm. been a huge factor in the work that I do for myself and in the love that I cultivate inside is just whatever I'm hard on myself for, whatever I'm experiencing, just forgiving myself and letting myself soften and be tender to myself. 
and what I'm experiencing and understanding it's a human experience and that it's okay. I'm here right now and I'm meant to experience something here. Mm -hmm. We are spiritual beings having a human experience, right? Absolutely. I don't know who said that. I definitely did not make that up. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know who said it either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to be mindful of your time. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you would really like to share? I was thinking about this question that you had sent me earlier about Mm -hmm. what would your clients be surprised to know Mm, about you? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I was thinking about, you know, I tell my clients this and they seem to look at me with this sort of disbelief sometimes that um, especially if they're experiencing a little vulnerability, shame. Yeah. Vulnerability hangover, says Brene Brown. Right? Yep. Yes. Maybe they're using like five tissues Mm -hmm. (laughs) with me, you know, because they're crying and they're a little conscious about how many tissues they're using. And I'm like, hey, when I'm healing, I practically use the whole box. Uh There's a pile of tissues next to me or on the floor because I just threw them over there. Right. Right. (laughs) Yes. Right. Uh huh. But silly things aside, I mentioned to you aside, Sarah, that I was experiencing a spiritual crisis, yeah, like an existential crisis. Mm-hmm. And what I'm experiencing is pieces of myself seem like they're either missing or they've mm. gone away. I know I've been doing a lot of healing, and when you get to a really deep level of the beliefs as I, I'm doing at the moment. I didn't know I'd land here, but it mm. feels like those parts of me just like disappeared and I'm left with nothing. And this mm. amount of freedom is quite terrifying in some ways. And I just wanted to share that because I know mm-hmm. a lot of people are experiencing depression or anxiety or different experiences in their life that tell them, I just can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I have to get out of this or I have to change something or I'm not happy. And that journey seems to be a cycle, at least mm-hmm. in my experience, yes. because I've been here before. I, I've known who I am, <laughs> mm-hmm. but now I feel like, who am I again? I'm in another round of finding out more. And luckily, I I feel some a lot of experience with this, so I'm, I'm not identifying or latching on too hard. A lot of feelings are moving through mm-hmm. and I'm excited to see what will come out on the other end and also terrified. I have no idea. Right. And this is why I believe in astrology, because I know so many people who are going through that exact feeling right now in one way or another. And I just did. It's so cute. My therapist is so awesome and always gives me amazing suggestions for like ways to release energy. And there's a relationship that I've been grieving and needing to let go of and also needing to call back to myself the the parts that I felt were taken from me in that relationship. And so I did a little fire ceremony the other day and it was like releasing all of the things that I've been holding on to in that relationship and then asking these parts to to come back. And mm-hmm. I, I think in some way, all of us are doing that right now, releasing and calling back what serves us. And we're all, I guess, reorganizing. And the word, the word that she used was recapitulation. Yes. And I don't know, I, like, I, I didn't look up the word to see exactly what it means, but there's definitely a term for it in music too. I can't even remember back to my like music school days of what recapitulation is, but I think it's like coming back to the main theme or coming back to the original theme, mm-hmm. which makes sense, right? Because if we have, mm-hmm. if there is the true, pure, I think you use the word pure soul in there, our true nature, we're just all trying to 
find, uh, uncover it, right? Continuously. Absolutely. Yeah. Recapitulation. There's just a resonance with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tuning to the pitch, maybe. Is that where you were going with the music aspect? Can't remember. Music school was a really long time ago. (laughs) And it's really Mm -hmm. early. (laughs) It's before my brain is (laughs) completely turned on. Well, Candice, this has been such a joy. Thank you. It has been delightful. Yeah. And so fun. I feel like we could just keep talking forever, but we got shit to do. We've we got some healing to facilitate, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> yep. And boundaries are good. Right. <laughs> A break is good. Right. Well, thank you yeah, so thank much you for so your much. time. Yes. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I really enjoyed speaking with Candace and could have talked to her for probably hours more. So if you would like to get more information about Candace, definitely visit our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. All of Candace's links for all her fun things are going to be up there. I know she's doing a retreat in the States, I think in the fall, and she also has a podcast. So definitely check her out if you liked what she had to say. Also, thanks to Andrea Clunder and Edwin Ruiz at the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, Liam O'Donnell for that album art photo and to Ben Mueller for theme music. You can find Conversations with a Wounded Healer on Facebook and Twitter, along with my practice, Head Heart Therapy. So please check the website for details. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Until next time.